The Vape Passion Show, episode 53. In this episode, we're going to talk about the FDA announcing a public workshop to address battery safety concerns, the Vape Nut Vapor Elimination System, how to super sub-ohm vape, Aspen Valley Vapes pissing off the DIY e-juice community, and how to get cheap e-juice at local vape shops. If you're planning on buying a vape product anytime soon and you want to support this show, go to vapepassion.com vendors and buy from one of those links. There are more than 50 popular vendors listed. I'll get a small commission for referring you, but it doesn't cost you anything extra. Hey, welcome back to the Bay Passion Show. This is episode 53. I'm recording this on Saturday, January 28th, 2017. So I don't have any new products to talk about this week. Uh, I've just been continuing to use the stuff I got from Heaven's Gifts a couple of weeks ago, like the OBS engine sub tanks and the Watofo Serpent 50 watt mod. Um, I did get some e-juice in from High Class Vape Company. They sent me three bottles of their premium e-juice. Haven't tried any of those yet. I just haven't had time, but uh, really cool of them to send that to me. Uh, totally unannounced. I wasn't expecting it. So that's really cool. So not a lot to talk about uh, new products. Um, so I'm heading to Philadelphia to meet a client in a few weeks. And I was wondering if any of you have any suggestions on any vape shops I should visit while I'm out there. Um, I'm only going to be in Philly for one evening. Um, I'm not even staying the night there. I'll be there in the evening to have dinner. And then I'm heading out um, two hours I don't know, Wilkes-Barre or somewhere around there. So I won't have a lot of time, but I'm hoping to get a couple of hours to hang out before I head out of town. Um, but if any of you guys know of a shop that I should check out, uh, please leave me a comment or send me an email. So this week I, I do have a beer, and this is Blood Orange Goza from Anderson Valley Brewing Company. It's an orange ale, and uh, they describe it as a tart, refreshing wheat ale, kettle-soured and brewed with salt and coriander. And what makes this one unique is that they ferment it with blood oranges, um, which imparts a tangy citrus flavor. So this one should pair well with uh, lemon, limes, or orange. So I'm going to pair it with Dank Sauce, and that's from G-Vape, G-Vapers. This is a like a key lime pie marshmallow e-juice, so it's a really good one. It's one of my favorites. And uh, G-Vapers, if you haven't checked them out, uh, do check them out because they have really affordable e-juice, and it's all really good from what I've tried. I have that already loaded up here, and let's give this beer a shot. Mmm. Yeah, it's got a, a bit of a sour flavor and a very slight hint of orange. I taste that saltiness too. It's uh, really interesting. Pretty good. Oh yeah, that dank sauce, that key lime pie really goes well with this beer. Yeah, so that turned out to be a, a pretty good pairing and this is a good beer. I really like this. That key lime goes perfectly with that saltiness of that beer. All right, well, let's get right into the topics this week. So the first one I want to talk about is the FDA announcing a battery safety concerns public workshop. So with the issues of vape battery safety all over the news lately, the FDA decided that it's time to have a public workshop dedicated, designed together, public comments in regards to lithium-ion battery safety, especially as it pertains to electronic cigarettes. Um, the public workshop is a joint effort between the FDA and the Center for Tobacco Products, the CTP, and will be taking place in Silver Spring, Maryland, but you can also register online and uh, view the workshop online. They're mostly interested in gathering information about battery safety concerns like overheating, fire, explosions, and other modes of failure, as well as information related to mitigating these risks. They're also interested in learning more about how manufacturers are communicating with distributors, retailers, consumers, and the general public about battery-related safety concerns with vape products. They're looking for expert input from a variety of backgrounds like scientific and medical experts, product manufacturers, distributors, retailers, battery manufacturers, government agencies, and academic researchers and public health organizations. They also plan to have presenters and panelists to discuss vape product related battery safety information. Uh, so some of the things they'll be discussing include what factors contribute to vape product failures, 
what type of vape products are more likely to experience battery failure, the causes and risks of battery failure, what types of batteries are used in vape products, e-cig safety features that prevent battery issues, charging safety, battery storage and upkeep, comparing the safety features of e-cigs versus other electronics that use uh, similar lithium-ion batteries like laptops and cell phones, if there are any alternatives to batteries that can be used in electronic cigarettes, existing battery standards, if there's any potential for engineering vape products to protect users even during a battery failure, what battery-related information vape businesses are providing to consumers, in what format are businesses providing this battery-related information to consumers, and how to effectively communicate battery-related risks to consumers. So they don't have all the presenter or panelist slots filled yet, and they're currently accepting submissions. So if you want to speak and can be in Maryland, uh, check out the link in the show notes for their contact information, or just go to the FDA or, or search, search Google for this uh, seminar or this workshop. So this workshop will happen from April 19th and the 20th from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., and it's free. But if you want to attend, you need to register by March 17th. All right, so let's talk about the VapeNut Vapor Elimination System. So here's a really cool product that I came across in the past week. It's called the Avatar Vape Nut, and it's designed to detect and eliminate vapor from a room. Uh, I thought this was a gag at first because of that name, but it turns out that it's real. Um, I actually saw that Brian from the Vapor Chronicles channel on YouTube put up a video on Facebook of this thing in action. The Vape Nut has a built-in sensor that detects the density of vapor in real time and will adjust the fan speed to efficiently remove vapor from the room. It's specially designed for vapor. It has a high density filter, has precise vapor density detection, and has an energy efficient design, according to them. Uh, the manufacturers claim that it has a silent fan and circular air duct designed to reduce noise. But from what I can tell on video, it sounds a little bit loud. Uh, they say it isn't any louder than less than 50 dB, and sometimes video amplifies fan noise, so it might actually be quieter than it seems on video. It looks like it actually works pretty well. It's basically an air circulation system with a filter to dissipate vapor. I actually reached out to them on their Facebook page to see if it has a replaceable filter, and they haven't responded to me. It's been over a week, so I don't know. They, they don't seem to respond to comments on Facebook. So I don't know. I don't know if it has a replaceable filter and how much it costs if they do. But uh, it looks like it would be a really cool product to have, you know, at home, at work, or even in the car. And it requires DC 12 volt power, but I would imagine a car adapter is available since they say that you can take it in the car with you. The biggest drawback though is the price. It's a little pricey at $100, um, but you can also get a 10% discount if you sign up to their email list. All right, now let's get into something more advanced. Uh, how to super sub-ohm vape. So a couple of videos back, I mentioned that I would be focusing more on beginner type advice. Well, this is the exact opposite of that. So in last week's show, I talked about a guy in Indiana who used a 0.06 ohm build in a tube mech mod, and he caused a short in his device, which blew up in his face. What he did was really stupid because a single 18650 battery can't handle a 0.06 ohm build on an atomizer, but there are people who like to super sub-ohm vape, uh, although with safer setups than a one single battery. No doubt about it though, super sub-ohming can be extremely dangerous, even when you know what you're doing. So first let's talk about what super sub-ohming is and why someone would want to do it. So sub-ohm means an atomizer built with a resistance below one ohms. Um, so technically a 0.9 ohm build would be considered sub-ohm since it's below one ohm. Uh, sub-ohm tanks are, are very common these days with pre-built coil heads usually coming out around 0.2 to 0.5 ohms, uh, but to super sub-ohm would probably be anything below 0.1 ohms. And, and usually I see people super sub-ohming around 0.08. Now as for the reasons to super sub-ohm, I think there are probably three main reasons. 
uh, one, people are crazy and they like to, the rush of pushing their unregulated devices as far as they can go. Maybe it's like the rush people get when they do something like rock climbing without a rope. The second reason, vape competitions, they require the use of a mechanical mod. Uh, the only way to win these competitions is to push your batteries to the max to get huge clouds of vapor. Um, vape competitions might seem silly to some people, but there are vapors who take them very seriously. And the third reason, some vapors like to build extremely intricate coils that just inherently come out with more resistance. If you go on Instagram, for example, and look at some of the crazy artistic coils that people are building, um, you'll, you'll see that. Uh, for example, I found this framed staple coil that someone just published the other day, which comes out to 0 0.07 ohms. That's very low. And when you start getting into builds like that, you need more wire and that has more metal and higher resistance. Well, not a lot of companies make regulated devices that can fire down to 0.06 or 0.08, and that's why people will use unregulated devices instead. Okay, so now we know why someone might want a super sub ohm. Now let's talk about how to do it. Let's say that you're using a mech mod or an unregulated device. Uh, you need to start with batteries that can handle a high amp draw. You don't want to go beyond the continuous rating of your batteries. Based on tests from experts, there's no 18650 battery that can safely exceed 30 amps. So you have a few choices in 30 amp rated batteries. You have the LG HB2, LG HB4, and LG HB6, and the Sony VTC3. Uh, for 25 amp batteries, you can go with LG HD2, the LG HD2C, or the LG HD4, or the Sony VTC5A. Those are the batteries that you should go for if you're gonna do something like super subohming. We already know that a single battery mod is mostly out of the question for super subohming. If you want to push a really good single 18650 battery to its max, you could go down to around 0 0.15 ohms, uh, which would have an amp draw of 28 amps. So that's really pushing it for one single battery. A better choice would be to use a dual or triple battery device. Uh, the first thing to consider here is how the batteries are wired. Um, there are two options, series and parallel. A device running in series does not double the amps when the batteries are combined, so that's not an option. But a device wired in parallel does du double the amps. So for example, if you have two 18650s with a rating of 30 amps, you can, draw you can now draw 60 amps in a device wired in parallel. According to an Ohm's law calculator, you can go down to a resistance of about 0.07 ohms to draw 60 amps. Now calculations are really important here. 0.01 increments when super sub-ohming can have drastic differences. For example, a, a 0.07 build draws 60 amps, while a, zero, a 0.06 build draws 70 amps. So just that 0.01 increment has a drastic difference in the amount of amps that are being pulled from those batteries. So just a slight miscalculation here can cause your batteries to vent. Now with that said, having an extremely accurate ohm reader is also a must. A cheap ohm reader from eBay is not smart. Most people recommend using either a high quality multimeter that can read at least uh, two decimals or a device uh, using a, a very accurate Evolve DNA chip. Something else to consider when super sub ohming is that it will take longer for your wire to heat up. With regulated devices, the device will force more than 3.7 volts through it, um, which is why it heats up so quickly. But an unregulated device doesn't have that ability. So if you don't have a sensitivity to nichrome, that's a good choice because it heats up faster than other wires. Also, super sub-ohm builds have much more wire, which means when they get hot, they stay hot. So more, more metal will simply take longer to cool down. If your wicks don't have enough e-juice, they can easily burn. And because these coils get so hot, your atomizers will get really hot too. And I've actually seen people mention that their insulators have melted, the insulators around the 510 pins on the atomizers uh, when super sub-ohming. So uh, you have to pay attention to that too. And even if you are vaping within the limits of your batteries, check them often. 
If they start to get warm, just give them a little bit of time to cool down. And finally, something very important to consider is that there are counterfeit batteries on the market. Unfortunately, there are people who will take a battery and rewrap it with a fake wrap. You might have purchased what you thought was a 30 amp battery, but you might actually be holding a 10 amp battery. That would be extremely dangerous. Um, just make sure that you buy only from reputable vendors like imrbatteries.com and illumin.com. Uh, and even those guys, they're fooled sometimes by fakes, but they are quick to fix a mistake if, they, if it happens. 18650 batteries contain a lot of energy. Uh, one minor mistake can cause them to vent or go into thermal runaway. Um, you don't have to super sub them to get a good vape. If you're looking for a hot vape with huge clouds, you can use a high wattage regulated device and feel safe knowing that your device will prevent you from pushing those batteries too far. And if you wanna build crazy intricate coils, uh, which typically end up coming out at, at very low ohms, there are some regulated devices that can fire pretty low too. The Snow Wolf and the Segeli Fuchai 200TC, for example, can fire down to 0.05 ohms and both in both temperature control and canthal wires, uh, and all DNA 200 and DNA 250 devices can fire at 0.1 ohms in temperature control mode. So there are options. I don't super sub ohm, and I never would on a mechanical or unregulated device. It, it's just not worth the risk to me. But I'm just a simple guy who likes to vape very basic coils. Um, as a 0 0.05 ohm build at 65 watts is perfect for me. But if you like to super sub ohm or considering it, I hope some of these tips help to keep you safe. All right, next up, Aspen Valley Vapes pisses off the DIY eJuice community. So AspenValleyVapes.com, they came under fire from the DIY eJuice community last week after publishing an article talking about why making DIY eJuice is not a good idea. The intro of the article discusses how strict regulations and high taxes are increasingly forcing vapors to move to DIY, um, which is true, but they word this in a way that makes it sound like DIY is some sort of illegal underground activity that threatens to grow bigger and bigger if state governments don't act now. Um, and then they say, but why make e-juices when you can use companies like Aspen Valley Vapes to satisfy your vaping needs? So very poor taste, um, but let's talk about the reasons Aspen Valley gave for why DIY is bad. Number one, it can be dangerous. So they say that there are always going to be safety concerns that come with making e-juice, no matter how long you've been doing it. Uh, they also say that experts recommend having at least six months to a year of vaping experience before getting into DIY e-juice. Now, there is only one safety concern that I can think of when it comes to DIY, and that's with using nicotine. And this is only a concern when using high milligram nicotine, like uh, anything above 48 milligrams. But a beginner doesn't have to use high levels of nicotine. You can buy a bottle of three milligram nicotine if you want, which wouldn't be any more dangerous than the bottle of e-juice that you buy from a vape shop. And as for their claims of having up to a year of vaping experience, before getting into DIY, that's just made up. I don't know what experts they're talking to, but this doesn't make any sense. You, you can get started with DIY on your first day. There's nothing about vaping experience holding you back. All right, number two, they say that it's not as simple as mixing two ingredients together and having an amazing e-juice. Um, actually, yes it is. There are great concentrates out there that taste really good on their own. You can make it as simple or advanced as you want when it comes to DIY. If you want easy, you can go get a good single concentrate, mix it with VG or PG, and then add nicotine, and that's it. This article also mentions that there are a lot of calculations required when making e-juice, which in turn takes a lot of time. Again, this just isn't true. Yes, you will need to use an e-juice calculator, but it's not nearly as complicated as Aspen Valley makes it out to be. They also make it seem like you have to create your own e-juices from scratch, but there are thousands of, of great recipes on alltheflavors.com or eliquidrecipes.com, and it's just like cooking. You just follow the recipe and add the ingredients to a bottle. Okay, their third example was, it probably won't turn out how you expect it to at first. 
Now this is true. Uh, you probably will have some trial and error in the beginning. You might accidentally add too much of one ingredient or too little of another, and the e-juice might not taste all that great. But this is no reason to give up. A couple of tries and you'll have the hang of it. But I would suggest only making small batches in the beginning until you get the hang of it. Personally, I usually make 10 mil bottles um, when trying a recipe for the first time, just to make sure that I like it. All right, number four, it could lead to a lot of wasted products. So their, their claims here are that you might make bad batches that you have to throw away, or you might spill ingredients and waste them. Yeah, this is probably true to some extent, um, but the thing is, the ingredients that you buy for DIY are so cheap that it's not gonna hurt your wallet. If you spill a bottle of homemade e-juice, you might have wasted a grand total of a dollar or even less. But by sticking to DIY, you could save hundreds of dollars a year. That alone is worth the price of wasting a few ingredients here and there. All right, number five, it might not end up saving you much money. So Aspen Valley's article says that DIY will cost you both time and money. The drawbacks that they mention include the time it takes to purchase ingredients, the time it takes to make the e-juice, and the time it takes to perfect recipes. Now that's true, it does take time, but it's not a significant amount of time. It's just not, any of those examples they gave are not a good argument. You know, the time it takes to purchase ingredients, that's stupid. It takes you time to do anything in life, <laughs> to buy anything. The time it takes to make e-juice, yeah, there is some time involved, but I mean, you can make a quick bottle of e-juice in, you know, five or 10 minutes. It just depends on how advanced you want to get. And the time it takes to perfect recipes. Again, um, you don't have to start from scratch. There are thousands of recipes online. If you become so advanced that you start making your own recipes and trying to perfect it, yeah, that'll take a lot of time, but you know that at that time, this isn't something a beginner does. The one thing money-wise that could cost you in the long run um, that they, they didn't mention is finding that you don't like to DIY after having purchased a bunch of ingredients and gear. And it happens. Uh, some people just don't care to make e their own e-juice. Um, and that's why I suggest starting with the basics. You just need a couple of empty e-juice bottles, some VG, a small amount of pre-mixed low-level nicotine if you're a beginner, a few syringes, and a few flavorings, and that's it. And you can probably get all of that for somewhere around 20 bucks. Uh, it's very cheap to get into if you buy just the basics. So clearly Aspen Valley wrote this article to scare vapors away from DIY and into being customers of Aspen Valley. But people aren't stupid. Uh, articles like this, they don't trick anyone. In fact, anyone who reads this will probably do more research into DIY and learn that it's not at all how Aspen Valley described it. DIY is actually very safe and it's pretty easy. Despite all the angry comments and press that this article has caused, Aspen Valley has kept the article up. And I think it's because they see this as uh, bad press is still press type of situation. Um, you know, if that's who they want to be, then that's fine. But I think that good brand reputation is more important than having viral content. And personally, I just think that article makes them look stupid. Okay, and the last topic I have is how to get cheap e-juice at local shops. I received a comment last week on one of my videos from someone who recently moved to Colorado, which is where I live. She asked me if there are any, any good shops out here that have affordable e-juice, because most shops are pretty expensive out here. Um, but I've been vaping for a while, and I've visited quite a few shops throughout Denver and surrounding cities. And I have some tips that I've learned along the way, so I wanted to share some of those. And this isn't just for Colorado, this works anywhere. So first, look for store-made e-juice. So not all shops make their own e-juice, but any that do usually sell their own brand for really cheap. Um, I know three shops in the Denver area that make their own e-juice, and all of them sell 15 mil bottles for about $6. So that's pretty cheap in my opinion. 
The quality is definitely an issue here though. Um, out of the three shops that I know of, only one of them makes a, a really good e-juice. The other two stores, they're not so great. They aren't gross, but they seriously lack flavor. Um, but if all you need is something to hold you over until you can afford something better, store-made e-juice will get the job done. All right, tip number two, ask about sales. So just about every shop has sales. Some are better than others, but you can get some great deals on premium e-juice if you keep an eye out. Uh, one shop that I go to has a new sale on e-juice every week. Sometimes it's a buy one, get one free, or sometimes it might be 50% off. Um, and then there are shops that only do 20% off. You know, that's a pretty crappy deal, but it's better than nothing. I follow several shops on Facebook uh, to find their latest deals. And my third tip is look for discount bins. So this is my favorite tip, and I use it all the time. So most shops have a discount bin. Uh, sometimes there are some bad e-juices in there, but not always, and I wouldn't even say most of the time. In most cases, these are e-juices that are just not selling well for whatever reason. It might simply be that people just weren't interested in the label, even if it's an, an amazing flavor. There have been a few times where I found some really good e-juices that just went through a, a rebranding or relabeling and the shop owner or the shop wanted to get the old bottles off the shelves. And sometimes it could be because they have very high nicotine or very low or even zero nicotine. I see a lot of 12 milligram nicotine e-juices in these bins. If you're lucky, you might find one bottle of high nick e-juice and one of the same bottles in zero nicotine, um, which you, and you could combine those bottles to get a six milligram nicotine and maintain the full flavor. And if you find a zero milligram nicotine bottle, it's as easy as adding your own nicotine to it if you're comfortable with handling nicotine. And something else that I've learned is that if you don't see a discount bin, ask if they have one. Uh, one shop that I go to has a discount bin that they keep behind the counter. They don't openly tell customers about it. You actually have to ask them for it. You should also ask the shop owner or one of the employees when they typically put e-juices in the discount bin. I asked the owner of one of my favorite shops and she told me Sunday nights after they close. So I go on Monday mornings right when they open and I have first choice from the box. Okay, that's all I have for this week. You'll find the show notes for this episode on vapepassion.com. If you want to support the show, consider donating to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash vapepassion. You can follow me on Twitter at vapepassion and I'm also on Facebook if you want to leave me a comment. If you like the show, I'd love it if you gave me a review on iTunes. You can also catch the video version of the podcast on YouTube. If you'd like to get notifications of new reviews or of the show, you can sign up to receive my weekly email on vapepassion.com. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me anytime at alex at vapepassion.com. All right, I'll see you next week. 